Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Haggai chapter 1. Should be getting easier to find that book by now. Giving you plenty of exercise, plenty of opportunity to practice finding a book towards the end of the Old Testament, right on the cusp of the coming of the new Messiah, a new age, a new dispensation, a new way that we would see God work and the way that we would see God operate in the earth. Again, these are the recordings of the people of God, Israel, coming out of captivity. Uh, They were under captivity, in captivity to nation of Babylon for just about 70 years before uh, God had mercy on them as proclaimed by the king Darius, proclaimed that they could all return back to their homeland, but when they came back to their homeland, it was in destruction. It was in desolation. And I believe that this is speaking very relevant to the times that we are seeing right now. Um, A term that gets thrown around a lot at this time and in these days is opening back up, right? Getting back to normal, right? seeing things return to a way that it once was, yet we're not finding it in the same state it once was. We're not finding it in the same way that it once was. And things that were normal before aren't normal anymore. And things that were abnormal before have become normal now, have become tolerated. You know, if if you leave something alone for long enough, you'll learn to live with it. If you... Uh, fail to address something long enough, it will not um, expand and increase. It will decay and die. Y'all notice that? The only thing that grows when you leave something alone is stuff you don't want, right? Cancers and weeds and destruction and decay, that's the natural digression, if you will, not just progression, but the natural digression of time and humanity and life is that it gets worse, not better, right? Uh, Our lives do not get better on accident. They get worse if we leave it alone. And so these Israelites have returned to a place called home, but it doesn't look like the place called home. It's in destruction. It lies in ruins. And, And instead of giving value to the things of God, initially, they get discouraged uh, by how destructive everything looks, depraved. Y'all notice that things are like extra depraved now? Uh, That not only is decay celebrated or tolerated now, now it's celebrated. Y'all notice this? Now we celebrate it. We have flags for it, and we have days for it, and we set aside time to honor stuff that years ago 
would have been, get this out of the way. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want it anywhere. It was words that shouldn't be uttered in ways that shouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, exclaimed and on display. And now they're being given entire days and months to celebrate the destruction and the decay that we see. The messed up stuff. It, it, just when you think things can't get any sicker, they find a new way to get sick find a new way to die, find a new way of depravity. And so that's what these Israelites came back to, and that's very discouraging. Very discouraging to know what it used to be, to see what it used to be like. And you return, and it's just not the same any longer. And rather than desiring to rebuild what had been torn down, they neglected it and abandoned it and let it go. And we've been seeing here that God here in this passage, this book of two chapters, that's all it is, is two chapters through the prophet Haggai, is addressing how come you have time to fix up all of your stuff, but my stuff lies in ruins. How come you've found time to panel your walls of your house, but yet my temple lies in waste? It's stone upon stone and rock upon rock, and it's decay. And when are you going to make time for my stuff? And you're working, and you're earning, and you're striving, and you're toiling, but it's every wage that you earn goes into a bucket with holes. You're wasting your time. You're spinning your wheels. And for us as the church coming back to what we know is the greater glory. What we know is God on display. What we know that we are just simply seeing the stage yet set for the coming of God, for the coming of Christ, for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of the reigning King. We're seeing the stage set, but are we busy working on our stuff or are we going to get busy working on his stuff. If we truly want to see revival in these last days, it has to be less of me and more of you. I must decrease and you must increase. And so that's what this book is referring to. And this book is challenging. What are we focused on? What have we made the priority? What have we made important? And last week we saw, a look, we took a look at the first pillar of revival. That's what I'm calling this series or what I'm calling this discussion is pillars of revival. And the first pillar that we saw last week is the pillar of repentance, of returning back to the king. And Haggai first called the people to return back to me. The building of the temple was not a, a symbol of God returning to them. It was a symbol of them returning to God. God hasn't left us. God hasn't abandoned us. God hasn't neglected us, but we have. We turned a, se a separate way. We turned and went away. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, there is a need and a demand for every person to come back to the king, return back to the Messiah, return back to God himself. And he's basically saying, will you make me a priority once again? Will I come first? in your life? Will you seek me first and the kingdom of God and watch all these other things that you're striving for and working for and, and, and going after, watch them go after you? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That word added means you didn't work for it. You didn't strive for it. Now, I'm not telling you we don't work. 
I'm not telling you we don't strive, but what you will find is the things that you are chasing will actually be chasing you. He says, you're out there farming, you're out there toiling, you're out there planting, you're out there sowing, and then when harvest times comes, you you don't have anything to show for it. That's no way to live. He says, repent, and watch me open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing. You won't even have room enough to receive. He says that through another prophet, Malachi, two books later. He lets them know that I can do far more for you than you can do on your own. I can do much more for you than you can do through your own striving. And that's what we learned last week is I don't work for approval. We actually work from approval. That when Jesus came up out of that water, before he did one miracle, before he did one sign, before he preached one message, before he healed one person, raised someone from the dead, cast out a demon, before he went to the cross and fulfilled the purpose for which he came, The voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And from that, Jesus did his mission. Jesus did his ministry. Jesus did his work. Not to get the father's approval, but because he had the father's approval, he went and did the mission and accomplished the ministry for which he was sent. Repentance is not coming and unveiling all my brokenness and unveiling. No, repentance is coming to God and saying, you are now first place once again. You are now the priority in my life. You are now what I'm going after. And if I'll go after you, stuff will come after me. And it goes on to say in, the, in, in Haggai chapter 1 that they all, Joshua, Zerubbabel, and the remnant, the remaining, obeyed the voice of the Lord. And we pick up here in Haggai chapter 1 verse 12. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the high priest Joshua, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. Again, not being afraid of, but being drawn to, desiring the Lord. Verse 13 says, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. This is his word. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. And here it is in verse 14. And the Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel. He roused the spirit of the high priest Joshua. And he roused the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And then the next three words, they began work. They began work on the house of the Lord. There's a step here that is clearly identifiable that the church has found a way to skip over between salvation, repentance, coming back to, returning back to the king, and beginning the work. There's a step that the church has left out. At the very least, the church is minimized, not given its due emphasis and its due diligence and its, its required value. And it is the rousing of the Spirit. It's the rousing of the Spirit of man by the Spirit of God. God specifically says, I am 
with you. I am with you. Now, most of us, again, we, we love the fact that God doesn't neglect us. God doesn't abandon us. God doesn't uh, uh, leave us orphans, right? We have all these scriptures. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. But then we, we don't give value to the way God dwells with us. The way that God inhabits his people. The way that God is among us. The way that God is among us today is very simply by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God in you. It is God, the third person of the Trinity, living and dwelling with you. And God never designed us to not be inhabited by the Spirit of God. God did not design us to operate without being inhabited by the Spirit of God. I got to go to Genesis. Guys, I got to go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Mm. God's going to take us somewhere this morning, and I pray that you'll be sensitive along with myself to follow his leading and his direction. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, reading out of the New American Standard, God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. He said, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So we have the organism, we have the, the, the living thing that God designed, God created, and God created it with such a great design, a design after his own self, after his own template, patterned after him. We've seen this before that it says that God formed him and God uh, made man in his image and in his likeness. That doesn't mean that we look exactly like God, but that means that we carry his qualities and his characteristics. Many people miss this, or at least we look at Adam and Eve as some kind of special species that was one of a kind, and all the rest of us, God has created us in a different image and a different likeness. But when you understand that God created you, yes, you, look at the person next to you and say you, and look at the person on the other side and say you. Now, apologize to the person that you talked to second for being the second choice, not the first choice. You were created in the image and likeness of God. Those, this is not a small thing, guys. Being in his image and being in his likeness means you carry the abilities, qualities, characteristics, functions, just as God does. You were to rule this earth just as God rules heaven. What do you think Adam and Eve were talking about with God in the cool of the day? They're learning how to manage. They're learning how to rule. God even brings animals to Adam and says, it's up to you to name them. I said, you have the authority and the dominion in this domain. I can't even name these animals. I've already declared you are the ruler of this territory. 
People don't like this stuff because we want to live in a God is in control world. We want to live in a world where we do not have to be responsible for the outcomes that we see take place in this realm. We want to live in a world where we can just cast everything on God, the good and the bad. That's a broken way of thinking when you understand that God created you for so much more. You were made in the image and likeness of God, which means you can talk like God. You can see like God. You can respond like God. You can do what God has told you to do. You can do what God tells you to say. You can say what God tells you to say. You can go where God tells you to go because you are made in the image and the likeness of him. And let them rule. And let them have dominion over all the earth. Are these not the words that we just read? And in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now let's go to chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, Genesis 2, verse 7, then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, everyone say dust, and breathed, everyone say breathe, into his nostrils the breath, everyone say breath, of life, and man became a living being. So we have the structure of man, we have the intent of man, we have the assignment of man, we have uh, the, the template and the pattern by which man was created. But notice, it's not a living being or a living organism until it receives something specific. The breath. Everyone say breath. The breath of life. And God breathed into Adam his very own breath. This breath here is not just the breath like you and I breathe air. We're talking about the literal spirit of God being placed within the dust of man. Without the breath, we have no life. Without the breath, there is no life. We've got the dust. We've got assignment. We've got intent. We've got mission. We, we, we've got a purpose. But without the breath, there's no life to fulfill that purpose. Man does not become a living organism until he receives the breath of God into himself. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. In Haggai chapter 2, going back over there. Again, this breath of God is a symbol for the spirit of of God. From the very beginning, God set forth that man would not operate, man would not function, man would not live without the breath of God in him, the breath of life within him. We have a lot of people today, they're alive, but they're not living. We cannot confuse being alive for living and functioning and doing what God called us to do. In Haggai chapter 2 and verse 4, Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel, 
This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua. Uh, Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work. He says, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And here it is. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm telling you right now, operating in this realm and operating in this earth without the Spirit of God will cost us everything. It's not time any longer for us to devalue the value of being filled with the Spirit of God. As believers, we need to understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in and among us. He says, this is the promise that I gave to you when you were coming out of Egypt. My my spirit is present among you. Um, In the Amplified, it reads this way. Verse 5 reads this way in the Amplified. As for the promise which I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit stands firm and immovable. And continues with you. Do not fear. Many of us just want the promise of God. We don't want the presence. We want his stuff. But we don't want his spirit. What does it mean to live a spirit filled life? What does it mean to live a spirit empowered life? What does it mean to live a spirit led life? The spirit of God coming upon you. To do the work by which you were called to do. We have to come to God. We have to return to him through repentance. We have to challenge our old way of thinking. We have to come out of darkness into light. We have to come out of death into life. We we have to come out of hopelessness into hope. We have to leave the things of the world. We have to go toward and pursue the things of God. But now we need to receive the spirit of God. How can I do the work of God without the Spirit of God? How can I do the work of God, the mission of God, the ministry of God, if it was necessary for Adam and Eve, how much more is it necessary for us? This isn't a conversation about what do you need to do to get to heaven. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, as a believer, as a, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, our questions and our challenges and, and our way of thinking should not be, how can I do as little? It ought to be, how can I do more? What is necessary? How can I live to my fullest? And I'll be honest with you, if we don't really get there in our minds, if we don't really get ourselves to the point where we're challenging ourselves daily saying, what more can I do? How can I pursue? How can I go after? Not in a works mentality, but God, what have you called me to do? And what am I capable of doing? Then it might be in question if we're really in the kingdom of God. Because this isn't about just entering something and standing at the door and never partaking of what is inside the kingdom. This is about getting into the kingdom and then discovering every day who I am, what I can do, what is mine, what belongs to me, who is under me, who am I submitted to, and what is submitted to me, and how can I exact my authority in the earth everywhere I go. This is not a do as little as you please Christianity. 
This is not a, what's the minimum? No, it's time to get in line with the mission of God. This is not a, I'm in the kingdom now, God bless all my stuff. This is about finding out what he wants. This is about finding out what he wants us to do, what he's called you to do from the beginning of time. What does this ruling and reigning really look like? What is this revival that we're really calling for? What is God trying to do through his church in these last days? And we look around and we see depravity. And we look around and we see discord. And we look around and we see destruction. And we look around and see brokenness, desolate, ruins. And he's looking at his church and saying, what will you do about it? The days of standing idly by, watching, cursing, judging, and wishing God would just remove you from the earth are long gone. Either play a part or get out of the way. Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. He says, is the promise which I made with you came out of Egypt. My spirit stands firm and immovable. These aren't the days to ask God to bless our plans. These are the days to discover his plan and ask for his blessing on that. In John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Jesus put it this way, in verse 7, he says, but I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking now. This is Jesus saying this. This is not Pastor Mark. This is not the church. This is not uh, Pentecostals. This is not, uh, uh, you know, charismatic. This is Jesus himself speaking these words. If I, no, I, he says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's better off for you. It's in your best interest is what he's saying. Have you ever found that God's best interest for us is different than our best interest? You ever found that? As a child, you ever find out that your parents had your best interest at heart, but it didn't always align with what you wanted. That they were simply trying to steer us. They were simply trying to protect us. They were simply trying to live a lot, help us live a life at maximum potential and maximum ability. And the things that we were striving for were things that they knew would be dangerous or compromise or affect us in a negative way. And so they were steering us and guiding us. And at the time, you're pushing back. And at the time, you're saying, I'm going to run away. And at the time, you're saying, I hate you. And at the time, you're saying, uh, uh, you know, you, you don't know anything, right? As teenagers, we know everything. I got all the mamas with teenagers nodding their heads till their heads fall off. Yes, that's my son. Rebuke that demon out, please. Get him out. The pushback, right? But yet Jesus is saying, it's to your advantage that I go. It's, to, it's better off for you if I leave. 
He says, for if I go, if I do not go, the helper, everyone say helper, will not come to you. But he says, if I go, I will send him to you. That's the spirit of God he's talking about. This might sound weird, but Jesus' departure was actually the best thing that could ever happen to the church. The apostles in the moment in Acts chapter 1, they didn't feel that way. Is this when you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? They were discouraged as they watched him leave and ascend to heaven. And angels came and said, why are you still standing here staring into the clouds? Because you know what they were thinking. Are we next? All right, where, where's mine? I'm still standing down here. Jesus, where are you going? You left us stuck with all this mess because he didn't really, honestly, he didn't solve a lot at that moment. He actually made a bigger problem for them. Because now he left them with the mission of going and telling of a resurrected king, the resurrected king that they were, that they had buried in a tomb. And if anybody said otherwise, they would lose their life. So their mission actually got extremely more complicated in that moment as Jesus is ascending into heaven. It had been hard enough to continue with the mission with Jesus there. But now that Jesus is gone, but before he ascended, he said something very powerful in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. As they're watching, getting ready to watch him ascend. Acts 1 verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, in the moment, those disciples, just like the remnant returning from Babylon, looks around and sees destruction, looks around and sees brokenness, looks around and sees depravity and says, how can we address this? What could we possibly do about these ruins? What could we possibly do about all this destruction? What could God possibly expect of us in the midst of a time like this? And many of us as church and many of us as Christians have the same responses. Every day you return on the news, you hear something dumber than you read the, the day before. You don't think these people can get any more stupid, and they do. Any more sick, and they do. Any more depraved, and they do. And it's easy to look around at the ruins. It's easy to look around at the crumbling stones. It's easy to look around at what used to be structure, what used to be. If you go and read this account in the book of Ezra, you'll find out that when they started building the temple, the young people that didn't know the glory of before were shouting and, and praising God. But the older ones that remembered what the temple used to look like under King Solomon, its beauty and its splendor, were wailing just as loud, crying just as loud. And the Bible says you couldn't distinguish between the crying and the praising. Be easy for us to remember what it used to be like. And even when God does show up, we compare it to what it used to be. And we say, oh, this, this, this is horrible. This is awful. This is all that God is doing today. This is all he can do today. This is all he can reach today. This is all he can touch today. And he goes on here in Haggai and he says, 
the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the first. He's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's so much more I want to do. There's so much more I want to say. There's so much. But see, these disciples quickly could compare it to when Jesus was here. Staring up in the sky, looking at Jesus ascend. And the angel says, what are you staring at? He said, you would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. Because if I do not go, you cannot send the Holy Spirit. The danger is we have dangerously committed Christians to a life that does not need the assistance of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking to the world. I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm not talking to lost people. I'm talking to church, the people of God. We've dangerously committed people with the very question, if you died today, would you know where you are going to go? We've set them up from the beginning that what happens down here doesn't matter. That Jesus endured all he did and went through all he did. And his whole mission was to get you to heaven when you die. We've dangerously committed Christians, lured them in with the thought that one day when you depart this place, you can be with him for eternity. It's not a lie. It's not that it's untrue. It's not the whole truth. Oh, there's so much more. There's so much more. As those disciples are watching Jesus ascend, he's already died on the cross. He's taken their guilt. He's taken their shame. He's covered their sin. He's removed their sin. He's even provided healing for their bodies. He ascends to heaven. And before he does, he says, go and tarry and wait for the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit. John surely baptized you with water. But one day, you will be baptized with fire. In verse 4, he states that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. He had to command them because the first instinct would have been to leave Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the most dangerous place for them to be. The day's coming where this earth is the most dangerous place for you and I to be. There are people halfway around the world right now facing that on a very real level. And Jesus commands them and says, do not leave. Your instinct is going to be want to, want to be to go. Your instinct is going to be to want to get out. Your instinct is going to be to run. But do not leave. Stay where you are. And wait for what the Father had promised, which he said to you, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the helper 
when he introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he introduced him as a counselor, as a helper, as a comforter, as a standby, as an advocate. What's he saying? He's saying the work that you are about to take on is far greater than what you can do in your own ability. The work that I have assigned for you, the work that I've set aside for you, the work that I'm calling you to, the work that you are about to engage, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. You know why we don't tell people to wait for the Holy Spirit anymore? It's because we have reduced the ministry of Christians and the ministry of the church to where we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. We've done what we can without the Holy Spirit. I know, I know churches and pastors today that they literally have direction that, that there are to be no operations of the Holy Spirit. And these were churches that were Spirit-filled. These were churches that knew the operation of the Holy Spirit. And yet today, deny the opportunity and the manifestation and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. For the sake of chaos, for the sake of confusion, for the sake of embarrassment. And what does that teach people? What does that train people? What does that put in their mind? That he must not be as important today. He must not be as necessary Today, when we say things like the Holy Spirit, you know, the being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's not for us today. I don't know about you, but I think today is just getting worse and worse. And I don't believe that God would have us in the earth today with less resource. If anything, he would give us more resource or at least the same resource that he told the disciples they needed 2,000 years ago. I don't believe in a Bible where you shut the book and everything in here all of a sudden becomes irrelevant. I believe in a Bible that is still being written through you and I today, through the church today. I don't believe in a work that is finished. I believe in a work that was just beginning. That is still happening and working and moving in the earth today. And by God, if they needed the Holy Spirit for what they were up against, we need the Holy Spirit for what we're up against. And the reason why Look, look, if we went through last year and we think that another idea, system, program, event is going to be the answer and solution to the stuff we saw last year, and you're not paying attention. It's time to wake up. It's time to look around and see that this is greater than what we can do on our own. There's not enough classes we can teach. There's not enough programs we can run. There's not enough events we can have. There's not enough time in the schedule. There's not enough services. There's not enough of the mess we come up with. It's time to get the Holy Spirit on some stuff. It's time to stop what we're doing and yield to the Holy Spirit. Get in a prayer meeting. Get in one accord. Pray in like-minded. Believe the word for what it says. Why do we think we're going to see power through our stuff? Why do we think that our stuff is solving anything? It's all broken. Unless it has the Spirit of God on it. Unless it has the Holy Spirit 
just quickly go through these verses. You've seen these before. John chapter 14. This is Jesus. I'll remind you, Jesus is, this is his last conversation with his disciples. This is it. He knows within hours he'll be arrested. Within hours he'll be plucked from them. You know as well as I do, when you only have hours left, when you only have moments left, you are talking about the stuff that's important. And one of the things that he chooses to introduce his disciples to is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, and just three verses before that, by the way, Jesus says this, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and even greater works. He's talking to the church. He's talking to a remnant. He's talking to the people he's leaving in his place. It's better that I go. It's to your advantage that I leave. It's to your benefit. It's in your best interest that you remain and I leave so that when I leave, the Holy Spirit can come. And you will do those works and you will do even greater works than I did. And in verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Everyone say another. That word another means one just like or the same as. The Holy Spirit is Jesus in you. And everything Jesus did and accomplished, the Holy Spirit is doing and accomplishing in and through you and I. This isn't a subpar Jesus. This isn't, you know, a replacement Jesus. This isn't a hold out until we get Jesus back. This is everything Jesus was and is, the manifestation of God in the flesh, now in the spirit. And rather than one man walking this earth, he indwells all men and women work, walking this earth. And he's just multiplied extravagantly and exponentially the work of the kingdom of God through you and I. Jesus didn't expect anything to end. He only expected it to begin. He only expected it to continue. I'll give you another helper that he may be with you for how long? Forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Skip on down to verse 25. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. So right here we begin seeing the assignment of the Holy Spirit. What he's sent to do. Number one, he says that he will teach us all things. We know that we don't need a teacher because we have the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us. So that's not removal of the teacher gift, the fivefold ministry, the pastors and the teachers and the prophets and the apostles and the evangelists. We need those. Those are necessary for the equipping of the saints. But we have the Holy Spirit on the inside to confirm all the words that we see in this book. 
What happens when we don't yield to the work of the Holy Spirit? We become confused. We make up our own ideas and our own systems. That's what happens when we don't yield to the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for all of us to yield to the one Spirit, same Spirit of God, and come to two, three, fifty, five hundred, three hundred thousand different conclusions of what this book says. There is only one conclusion. There is only one conclusion. And the Holy Spirit will show you. But when we don't yield to the Holy Spirit, guess what we end up with? Denominations, ideas, preferences, comfort zones, contradictions. That's what happens when we eliminate the Holy Spirit. The mess that we have in Christianity today and all the different viewpoints and all the different ways that we see it is because we don't have a people that have yielded to the Holy Spirit. I've had people tell me that the Holy Spirit told them that the Holy Spirit isn't for today. How broken are we getting? That the Holy Spirit would tell you that he's not even needed, so the one that you tell us we don't even need to listen to or rely on is the one informing you of this? Uh, We're better than this. I know that we're better than this. I know we can think this through and say, that can't be right. No, it says that he will abide with you. He will be in you and that he will teach you. And it says that he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John chapter 15, verse 26. John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Right, The spirit of what? The spirit of truth. He will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. John chapter 16 and verse 12. John chapter 16 and verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, and he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. You see that the Holy Spirit is walking directly in conjunction with God himself. You will never get God and the Holy Spirit to disagree on anything. They will not do it. The Holy Spirit will not speak out of turn. The Holy Spirit will not speak against what God is saying. The Holy Spirit will not contradict what his word says. If you tell me I got a word by the Spirit, you better be able to back it up by two or three witnesses out of this book. The Bible tells us to test prophecies, to test these words. Why? Because when we just throw on the Spirit says or God says, there's weight to that. There's value to that. And there are some critical points that it must align with out of this book. They cannot contradict one another. This is what yielding to the Holy Spirit will do. In Acts chapter 2, 
In Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. And it shall be in the last days. Y'all think we're there? We close? Near? Closer than we've ever been? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young and your young men will see visions, your old men will see dreams. I, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And here it is in verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the end goal? We pour out the Spirit on all flesh. You and I receive the empowerment, the equipping, and the assistance of the Holy Spirit in everything we do. And the end goal is many will call on the name and will be saved. He told them that you will receive power and you will become my witnesses. Here's the bottom line, guys. Anyone that did anything for God, anyone that did anything powerful, anything that did any, anyone that did anything of purpose, of divinity, of miraculous, needed the Spirit of God. The breath of God breathed into them. Romans chapter 8 tells us that he helps us even in our weaknesses when we can pray. When I pray in the Spirit, I'm actually praying with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. He'll even help you pray. Why would I not want to pray Spirit-assisted prayers? Why would I deny praying in the Spirit? Why would, I, why would I deny praying in an unknown tongue when I know that my tongue is limited? My comprehension is limited. I can only go so far and do so much. But when I switch over into the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, praying with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, I don't care if I don't understand it. I don't care if I don't know what I'm saying. I don't care if it sounds crazy and kooky. I am praying with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy One who knows the mind of Christ, who knows the things of God, even the deep things of God, but the Spirit of God. And you have the Spirit of God assisting you. Why would I deny this? How have we created churches that function and operate without a reliance on the Holy Spirit? How have we created this? I heard a funny story. The pastor had a lady come to his church that wasn't dressed so great. Wasn't dressed churchy. So the pastor told this lady, you know, I'm glad you came, glad you visited, but, you know, next time you come, ask, ask God how you should dress. So she came back the next week, and she was dressed the same way. 
the pastor said, well, did you ask God, you know, what, did you ask God how you should dress in church and, you know, what, what, what that should look like? She said, yeah. He told me he doesn't go to this church. <laughs> Worship team, would you come? That's rough. I want to go to church with God. As the worship team is coming up, would you go with me to Ezekiel 37? You know, it's so funny when we orchestrate things just to give you a little picture of how the Holy Spirit works. And sometimes you have to give some insight because when the Holy Spirit moves, it, you don't always know the Holy Spirit's moving. You don't always know the Holy Spirit's working. But the Holy Spirit's been moving this morning since 8.30 specifically. He's always moving. He's always working. But specifically for this service and specifically for you. 8.30, we have morning prayer. We have several individuals that come. You're always welcome to come to morning prayer. I encourage you to come to morning prayer. We're going to need to see prayer ramped up in these last days. A greater emphasis, a greater desire, a greater coming together. We're here praying. And as we were praying, and I was back in my office just getting some things together, the Lord just dropped Ezekiel 37. I mean, just drop. What does that mean? What, I'm just saying that it just came to mind. Ezekiel 37 is the valley of dry bones. So I was reading it. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. Set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. That's where the church is today. We're looking at dry bones. Again, destruction death, depravity. We have elements of life, but we're missing true components that give it life. He says, only you know, Lord. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause, here it is, breath to enter you, that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. Behold, a rattling, and the bones came together. 
bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them. The flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. We had the components, we had the bones, we had the muscles, we had the tissue, we had the skin, but still no living organism. There was something very important missing. And today the church has found a way to compose the elements of what looks like an organism, what looks like a structure, but without the breath, we cannot come to life. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. Here it is. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. And I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. We come alive, not with our programs, not with our functions, not with our systems. We're required to put all that together. The administration and the programs and the systems are necessary, but it's time to rely on the Spirit of God, to be upon what we do. Breathe His life in and through everything we do. Everywhere we go, we need the breath of the Spirit of God. As we were concluding our pre-service huddle, Miss Geraldine came up to me. She said, I just feel that this is so relevant after I had read this passage. Because this virus that is going around specifically attacks the lungs. It's designed to take the breath away. As I was walking away, Mr. Nick stops me, not overhearing our conversation, says the exact same thing. COVID is attacking people in the lungs where the breath resides. And it's taking their breath. As I was walking back to my office with this in my mind, the Lord told me this. It's time to get the church off of the spiritual ventilators, machines, man-made systems that are 
breathing air and putting life into this organism. It's time to come off the ventilator and it's time to breathe in the fresh breath of God. It's time to breathe in the life of God. So when we breathe out, we are breathing the breath of God over our communities, over our cities, over our doctors, over our nurses, over our communities, over our sports, over our people, over our businesses, over our governments, over our regions, our state, our nation, and this world. Because I can only breathe out what I breathe in. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.